We're on our fifth lesson in a series that we've entitled Spiritual Warfare. We're going to look at a number of scriptures this morning, so, uh, you know, we uh, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. That's where we'll begin. But in this study thus far, we've learned that we must know just who our enemy is. We are in a spiritual battle. We are in spiritual warfare. There, there's things taking place in the heavenly realm that, that there's a spiritual battle between good and evil. And the fact is, we as human beings are caught up in the middle of that spiritual war. So thus far in this study, we saw who just who our enemy is. In that lesson, we saw that uh, what we all know, that that enemy is Satan. However, we also learned that Satan is more than just an evil being. He's called Satan because that name means adversary. He's called the devil because that name means the accuser or false slanderer. So by knowing the different names of Satan, <coughs> excuse me, it gives us some insight to who he actually is. Who is Satan? He is our adv uh, uh, adversary. He is our accuser before God. He is that false slanderer who is out to destroy yours and my relationship with our Heavenly Father. The Bible says he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So it's important that we must know just who our enemy is. Then we learn the importance of knowing who we are in Christ. We are made in God's image. We are made after his likeness. You know, when we are saved, we now possess the Holy Spirit of God within our life. And because that Holy Spirit resides within us, we have available to us all that we need in order to fight this spiritual battle that we are in. And then last week we saw the importance of knowing just who Jesus is. It's good to know who we are in Christ. It's good to know who our enemy is. But if we don't understand just who Jesus is, you know, then we're still going to have trouble facing this battle that we're in on a daily basis. You know, and in that study we saw that Jesus is our commander-in-chief, and as commander-in-chief, all powers are subject to him. All things in heaven, all things on the earth, all things under the earth are subject to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So knowing who Jesus is in this spiritual battle that we're in, knowing who Jesus is in this spiritual warfare, you know, that he is our commander-in-chief, then we really understand that he has available to him, and we have available because of him, all authority, all power we need to face this battle that we're in. So today, let's just look and see what our commander-in-chief makes available to us, you know, as he sends us into this battle. You know, no leader would send his army into battle with give it, without giving them everything they need to be successful in that battle. And the same is true with our commander-in-chief. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul makes us aware of the full armor that our commander-in-chief makes available to us. Then he reminds us, you know, that, look, guys, Satan is out to destroy you. Satan is out to destroy you because he thinks if he destroys you, he's going to destroy me. But that's not going to happen. So what we're going to see this morning is understanding the wiles of the devil. Understanding the, the tricks. That simply means the wiles mean tricks that, that, that Satan uses in order to deceive us and, and, and giving up, uh, deceiving us into giving into temptation, deceiving us into turning our backs on God. 
So let's see, first of all, what Paul means here about the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Again, that word wiles means tricks or schemes that he comes up with. You know, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, here in this passage, Paul wants us to understand that because the battle we're in is not a traditional, you know, flesh and blood battle, rather a spiritual thing, we have to depend on God to uh, be successful in this battle. We must use the weapons that are available to us, the spiritual weapons, if we are going to be successful in this battle. He says, first of all, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Look, we cannot face the devil in the pow- our own power with our own might. We have to depend upon His might, the Lord and Savior's. Now, we've already seen that only Jesus has the authority over the things in heaven, over the things on earth, and over the things underneath the earth. Therefore, if you and I are going to be victorious, you know, it can only come about as we tap into that power, as we tap into that authority of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in order for that to happen... Paul says there's some things that we have to put on. We have to put on each and every piece of that armor, which we'll look at here in another week or so, all these uh, armors available to us. You know, but what is the purpose of this armor? The purpose is so that we will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This morning, we're going to focus on those wiles of the devil. You know, what does Paul mean by wiles? Again, wiles are the schemes, the tricks, or the manipulation that Satan uses to, and they're designed to deceive you and me. You see, wiles of the devil are those clever schemes used by Satan to ensnare us. He ensnares us through temptation. He ensnares us through threats. He ensnares us through intimidations. All the things that he comes at us with, folks, we have the power to overcome because we have the Word of God. We should be able to recognize those schemes that he uses because let me tell you something about Satan. His schemes are so successful that he has used them from the beginning of time. He don't have to change his schemes because they have been working since the beginning of time, time and time again. Now, let's take a look at some of these. One of his schemes is challenging God's word. Flip over to Genesis chapter 3. Challenging God's word. Listen to me. These 66 books in this Bible right here are God's word, and they never change. They've never changed, nor will they ever change. But what Satan does, he knows he can't change the Word of God. So what one of his schemes is, he comes at us trying to challenge the Word of God. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Genesis 3, verse 1. You know, it gives us some detail into this tactic of Satan. Genesis 3, 1 says, as Satan came to Eve, you know, she was admiring that fruit upon that forbidden tree. 
And, you know, Satan comes to her, and they get in a dialogue, you know, and she says, yeah, that's a nice-looking fruit there, but, you know, God said we can't eat of that fruit because in the day that we eat of that fruit, we're going to surely die. So, no, I can't touch that. Now, look at this scheme by Satan challenging God's Word. Did God really say? Don't miss that. Did God really say you must not eat of, uh, from the, of the fruit from any of these trees? Is that really what God said? Eve, are you sure that's what God said? Now, do you see that scheme there? He gets her gears to rolling. Maybe, wait, wait a minute. Maybe what I heard is not what I heard. You see, the challenge of God's word led to the few first human sin, and Satan, uh, Satan still uses that scheme, folks, because it has worked so well throughout the years. With those words, did God really say Satan was inviting Eve to reconsider what she knew God had said? And then by adding her own human interpretation, she convinced herself that, well, maybe God didn't really say what I thought he said, okay? Maybe I, I, I didn't hear clearly. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I took out of context what God had really said. So by suggesting, you know, that we should, she had to reconsider, okay? And once we begin reconsidering what the Word of God says, folks, we're going to be totally messed up. Um, I always use this, especially when we're doing the book of the Revelation, you know. It's a saying that I got that I go by. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. At least you end up with nonsense. And folks, when we begin allowing Satan to get us thinking, did God really say, we're going to come up with some nonsense. We're going to come up with some nonsense. So, you know, by suggesting that we should reexamine the clear teaching of God's Word, Satan invites us to add our own interpretation, thereby nullifying God's stated will. You know, a sad thing is many churches, not just individuals, but there's many churches that are falling prey to this particular wiles of the devil. What do I mean by that? Well... Did God really say homosexuality was a sin? Did God really say that? You know, did God really say there's only two genders, <laughs> male and female? Did God really say that? Hey, folks, there's churches that are questioning those commands of God. Did God really say that two people living together outside wedlock is a sin? Did God, are you sure God really said that? Do you see how Satan can get not just individuals, but even churches questioning the Word of God? On and on we could go, you know, and when we fall prey to this one while of Satan, just like Eve, we begin to put our own spin on it. I mean, let's just, just be serious here, you know. Uh, you know, God wants us happy, doesn't he? We should be able to love who we want to love, right? Because, you know, God talks a lot about love. So how could this be wrong? How could, you see how Satan gets our gears to turn in, folks? And then we convince ourselves that maybe God didn't really mean what we thought God meant. 
Folks, that's why we're in the condition we're in as a nation today because this one while of Satan has gotten people challenging God's word. Therefore, God's word don't mean what God's word says. Folks, we have to be aware of this. You know, uh, we add our own spin, we twist the word of God, and in essence, when we do that, we're making ourselves gods in place of the Lord. That's why Paul said we need to clothe ourselves with the armor that God makes available. The next thing here is challenging our identity. Challenging our identity. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. This is, uh, you know, the, the temptation here of Jesus. This is Jesus being led out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Okay? Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Actually, we're going to go through verse 7, but let's just look at this first challenge of our identity, who we are, okay? Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, and was, this is right after his baptism, okay, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. In other words, for 40 days, Jesus fasted, had nothing to eat. Uh, anybody ever done a 40-day fast? Okay. Most I've ever done was 28, okay? And, and you know, your, your body can kind of get a little, little weak and, you know, things like this, okay? I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, it looks like you need to do another 28. I'm 30, okay, maybe even more than that. All right, I'm thinking about it, okay? I'm thinking about it, uh, especially when I got on the scale last night. I took Tom to the emergency room. That's why he's not here today. He's got double pneumonia, by the way. Y'all pray for Tom. But, uh, you know, I got on that scale, and it had to have been wrong, you know. You know how hospitals are. They don't get everything right. No offense, Doc. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I said then I better do something here. Now, y'all done got me off track, Okay. But let, let, let's talk about this. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Yes, you do get hungry. And the devil said to him, now don't miss this. We're talking about challenging our identity. If you are the Son of God. Do you see that challenge there? Challenging Jesus' identity. If you're really who you say you are, command this stone to become bread. Here you are, Jesus. You're hungry. You say, you know, you're son of God. You say you can do all these miracles. If you are really who you say you are, here's a rock. Turn it into a loaf of bread. Now, and he said here, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, Satan. You see, this passage gives us insight into several of the devil's wiles that we're going to see here as Satan came to Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness. You know, and on two different occasions, Satan began his words or his temptation with the words, if you are the son of God. In other words, what he was doing was trying to get Jesus to begin thinking just like he was able to get Eve to thinking. You see that? And, folks, he does the same thing to us. If you are the Son of God. Can I tell you something? Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. 
Okay? Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. Jesus was there when Satan was created. Jesus was there when Satan fell like lightning from heaven when God kicked him out. Okay? Notice here that Satan chose a time. Don't miss this. And here's how he comes after us to challenge our identity. Satan came to Jesus when Jesus was uh, physically weak and hungry to attack his identity. Folks, that's when he'll come at you to attack who you are in Christ. Is when you're spiritually down, when you're physically down, when things ain't going right in your life, it just seems like tragedy is coming upon you. That's when he'll come at you with this while. If you're really a Christian, would you be going through this? If you're really a child of God, would God have allowed this tragedy to come in your life? You see how he works? He's challenging your identity at that point. To make his wiles more effective, he hits us in a crisis. He hits us when we're in a spiritual trouble. And he suggests this, if you are a child of God, that would not help happen. Therefore, you must not really be a child of God. And folks, he uses that today just like he did when he had Jesus in the wilderness tempting him. We will need that helmet of salvation firmly in place to withstand these attacks of identity upon us. Now, the next thing we see here also in Luke chapter 4 is offering a a tempting alternative to obedience. Offering a tempting alternative to being obedient to God. Look at verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Now, what he is talking about, he is the prince in power there. Some people say, well, he didn't have the right to give that to Jesus. Yes, he did, because the Bible tells us he's the prince in power there. And he said, look, if you'll just do this, I'll give all this to you. Okay, you don't have to go through what you're going to have to go through because I can give you what you're wanting right here and now. Therefore, verse 7, if you will worship me, all of this will be yours. You see, what was he doing? He was giving Jesus a temptation to alter what he came here to do. Look, and this wild of the devil is used in the temptation of Jesus, and it was, he was suggesting here another path to obedience to God's will. Deceitfully, Satan knew better than to suggest that Jesus just, you know, well, let's just forget your plan. Let me just give you this now. He knew better than to do that. He knew Jesus would say no. Instead, he altered this alternative, this alternative. Again, the devil led him up to this high place and showed him all of this. You know, this temptation was aimed at the humanity of the Son of God, okay? Jesus uh, now knew what it would be like being in the flesh. I believe that Jesus knew, you know, what those spikes would feel like when they was going through his hands. I believe Jesus knew what it would feel like when they uh, drove those spikes in his legs. I believe that Jesus knew the rejection and mockery, what it would feel like when they stripped him naked and paraded him through the crowds. And he, because Satan knew that Jesus knew 
how this was going to feel. He said, well, look, here's an alternative. Let's just compromise. Folks, listen. Satan wants you to compromise your values. Satan wants you to compromise your convictions. Satan wants you to compromise with him in order to pull you away from God's will. What if Jesus could save the world without having to suffer crucifixion? What if he could take a shortcut and possess all of this stuff now? You see, that was a temptation to compromise. You know, one of the most sinister wiles of the devil involves his ability to offer a religious-looking compromise to obedience to God. He knows he can't come to a mature believer with a frontal attack on their values and their convictions. He knows he can't do that to a mature Christian. So what's he do? He slides in the back door, posing as a friend. I'm your friend. You know, listen, would I lead you wrong? And he gives us, as a friend, a reasonable alternative. Because you don't need to go to church to be spiritual. You know, you can meet with God anywhere you are. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and we was talking about this. I don't even remember who it was. Oh, it was Tom. It was old Tom. You know, and, you know, we was talking about how people say, well, you know, I can worship God in my deer stand. Anybody ever had somebody tell you that? You know what my question is? But do you? <laughs> but do you? Yes, you can worship God in your deer stand. But you know what? You're going to miss that 10-point buck that walks around because you're too focused on God. Well, you know, I can worship God out in my boat fishing. Yeah, you can. I'm not going to argue that you can't. But you know what? You're, gonna, you're not going to hook that, you know, 12-pound bass because you're too focused on God but see that's what Satan wants you to believe this is the while that he uses you know an alternative to not forsaking and assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is that's the way he does it folks all right now the next thing here twisting scripture Luke 4 still for it is written Okay, now this is Satan going to quote Jesus' scripture. For it is written, Jesus, God shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Boy, Satan knows the scripture, doesn't he? But let's look at this. He uses this wild against Jesus to quote the scripture but he does it with a twist he does it with a twist in verses 10 and 11 what Satan is quoting here is Psalm 91 11 and 12 in an effort to uh, to uh, persuade Jesus to act in the flesh rather than acting in the spirit but Satan failed to complete the thought of Psalm 91 because in the next verse Psalm 91 13 it says this you will tread on the lion and the cobra, and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Wow, he left out that part. Isn't it amazing how Satan will twist the word of God and then leave out some of it? 
But folks, that's what he was doing to Jesus here. Now, those animal references are metaphors for the fierce and dangerous enemies that the devil is likened to. He's likened in Scripture as a lion. Remember, Paul said he's like a lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And he's also likened to the serpent in Scripture. So the true meaning of the passage in Psalm 91 is that God will protect and empower his servants as they overcome the enemy. That's the meaning of what Satan left out. That's the meaning. You know, so one of the wiles of the devil is to leave out key parts of Scripture in order to twist its meaning in order to fit his agenda, in order to confuse you, in order to, you know, get your focus off of what God is really saying. So we see these wiles of the devil in action today as prosperity teachers and false prophets quote Scripture in selfish, misleading ways. They use just enough of God's Word to sound authoritative, okay? To sound like they really know what they're talking about. All along, they've twisted the Scripture, okay? They leave out key parts in order to deceive you. They, they, they use just enough of God's word to make it sound legit. Cherry-picking the Bible for verses that affirm whatever it is they believe in. And, 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 you know, again, believers have no idea. They've fallen for that scheme. Now, the next thing is Jesus' response to these wiles. How did Jesus respond to these wiles. As Satan began tempting Jesus with all these wiles in the form of prophecy, uh, promises, we see Jesus quoting Scripture back to Satan. However, Jesus quoting Scripture back to Satan was exact Scripture. And Jesus saying, well, wait a minute, now you're kind of twisting this. Let's look at what God really said, okay? Let's look at what God really said. So, you know, Satan quoted these scriptures out of context. He twisted them in hopes of getting Jesus to question his own belief. But Jesus kept them in context. And here's what he said. Satan, you know, verse 4 really says people don't, uh, the scripture says people don't live by bread alone. That's when he tempted him to turn the rock into bread. Jesus said, you know what? The scripture says man don't live by bread alone. Okay, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the scripture says in verse 12, you must not tempt the Lord your God. So Jesus fought him with scripture. Listen, folks, that's why it's so vitally important that you study your Bible. Okay? Because you must know what the scriptures say. Because when Satan comes at you with these twisted scriptures, you'll be able to do like Jesus. Well, you know, you're, you're telling me to turn this rock into uh, 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 some bread because I went 40 days without eating. But Satan, don't you know the scripture says you can't live by bread alone? Okay, you need to study your Bible in order that you can come back with Satan, untwist the scripture. And put it out there to him just like it is. In conclusion, this here. The New Testament writers often pointed out the wiles of the devil. When you study the Bible, you'll see that. And he, they, they often pointed these out in the church who was falling for them. 
You know, they would point out the presence like uh, Paul did to uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He pointed out false prophets. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he pointed out, you know, busybodies within the church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he pointed out adulterers within the church. Then in Revelation 22, he pointed out, you know, source, uh, seducers that were in the church. And many other wiles, you know, that are all part of Satan's master plan to undermine the church from within. Look, to combat these wiles of the devil, followers of Christ must stay clothed with the armor God provides you to fight this spiritual battle. We must stay immersed in God's word so that we can recognize the deception of Satan. And when we realize we've been caught in a wile of the devil, because we're all going to at times get caught in one of his wiles. None of us are that spiritual, okay? But when we realize that we've been caught in one of his wiles, okay, what we must do is quickly repent and seek godly accountability. Psalm 37, 23 encourages those who who desire to live godly lives with these words, 37, Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Are we going to fall for the wiles of the devil periodically? Yes, we will. All of us will. But what are we going to do when we realize that we have fallen? Folks, we've got to reach out to the Lord and let him take us by the hand and lead us through it. When the Lord holds our hand, the devil's wiles can't harm us. And at the end of the temptation in, in, of Jesus in Luke 4, 13, it says this, and don't miss this. Now, when the devil had ended his temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Hmm. You see, some people think that Jesus was only tempted those 40 days and 40 nights. But what this scripture says, Satan said, okay, I can't get him right now, but there's going to come a time I can. And he came at Jesus time and time again. You say, where's that in the Bible? Well, I can't show you a scripture, but I can show you this scripture where he said, I'm going to come back at an opportune time. And surely there was opportune time that I believe Satan came back and would tempt Jesus again. This means that Satan came after Jesus other times while he was here on this earth. And look, if he came after Jesus at opportune times, what's that mean for you and me? That means he's coming back and coming back and coming back. And maybe some of you in here this morning, he's done been on you already this morning. I mean, before you left the house, he was attacking you in some way, some form, some fashion. He's going to look for those opportune times. And when he does, he's going to pounce on you like that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't let him devour you. Because if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you have within you all the power, all the strength, all the authority you need to do just like Jesus did and say what Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And you know what? He's got to get behind you. He has to. Because you're speaking 
with the authority that Jesus Christ has given you. So if you're here this morning and, and, and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, let me tell you something. Every attack that Satan comes upon you, you're going to have to fight in your own strength, in your own power. And there's not a one of us in this room this morning has the strength and has the power nor the authority to tell Satan to get behind me if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, look here, I don't want you to leave this place this morning without letting us tell you more about how you can accept Christ as your personal Savior, how you can receive this authority to say no to Satan, how you can receive this authority to tell Satan, get thee behind me, and he'll have to do it. We're going to have a song of invitation here in just a moment, and if you don't know Christ as your Savior, as soon as we stand, why not come up here? We'll get you with one of our altar counselors. They'll just take you in one of these rooms here, just you, them, and God, and we'll see. Can we get you to the cross? Child of God, if you've been under attack in one of these you know, wiles that we've looked at here this morning, you say, that's the one Satan gets me with every time. And it's possible. That some of you say it's that one there that he gets me all the time. But can I tell you something? When you start, when you start overcoming that one, guess what he's going to do? He's going to pick another one and say, doggone it. Oh, Brenda done caught on to this one. Let's move to another one. But all these wiles we've looked at this morning, folks, they have worked for years. They have worked for years. And as long as it's working, you know, there's no saying that says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay? It ain't broke. So he ain't going to try to fix it. He's going to keep using them. Is he using it on you this morning, child of God? If he is, you need to bring that up here to this altar and leave it with him. Let's pray. Father God. Oh,